0: I want to give a shout out to Aventus, the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto market. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at Exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today, I say this every episode, and most of the time I'm speaking the truth that we have a very special guest. But today, I think we have an even specialer guest just because, you know, this person kind of brings back a bit of nostalgia to my previous world covering market structure in the U.S. equity exchanges, and he's fallen down the crypto rabbit hole. It's taken him a bit of time, a few more years than myself, but we have Tom Farley, former president of the New York Stock Exchange, kind of found his way into the SPAC world, was CEO of Far Peak Acquisition, and is the newly minted, or is about to be the newly minted lead of Bullish, the crypto exchange backed by EOS, or EOS, however you prefer to pronounce it. We have no judgment there. Tom, you have been gripped by crypto. I feel like you are possibly going to be among our brightest luminaries. So walk us through how you kind of got from point A to point B, your story, and then we'll kind of tackle some of the more pedantic questions around how the exchange is going to approach market structure differently, the SPAC market and so many other things. But let's start with your sort of like origin story in crypto.
1: Frankie C, thanks for that introduction. Although you have me wondering, are you telling the truth this time when you talk about how special this guest is? Uh, Long-time listener of The Scoop, first-time visitor, couldn't be more excited to be here, and excited for you on your career trajectory. I recall you and I having some conversation at the New York Stock Exchange underneath the stained glass windows of the Great Hall there, talking about some equity market structure development. I wonder if it was dawning on both of us at that time that far more interesting than worrying about the little teeny incremental market structure changes in a 250-year-old U.S. business, 500-year-old global business, equities market structure, far more interesting would be if we both decamped for digital assets. You had the guts and the vision to do it pretty much right after that conversation. I may have scared you away, and I only made the decision to move firmly away about six months ago. So I'm pretty pumped. Uh, Pretty pumped to be in digital assets with both feet. We were talking before we started recording this podcast that uh, every time I think I'm learning and becoming, I don't know, half an expert, I'm realizing I'm not even a 32nd of an expert yet. There's so much to learn. There's so much innovation, but I'm loving it.
0: So walk us through exactly the news of last week, right? That kind of, in a sense, you gatecrashed the crypto world with this announcement that you'd be leading this new exchange through this SPAC deal, so to speak. Walk us through exactly what the news was and and what the audience should expect out of this announcement in the coming months. Sure.
1: Can I go back even a decade and just kind of tell you my personal journey to, to get here and i'll do it in in warp speed uh i have a close friend danny romero just a really sharp young guy who I've, who I've known for many many years and he introduced me back in 2012 to his buddy they went to duke together and they were they were roommates by the way it's some group of friends at duke uh, zach who founded plaid and oh that what's the gentleman's name who founded cameo can't remember at this moment but uh he introduced me to fred who had just started a blockchain company. And this is 2012, and I knew I was going in to run the New York Stock Exchange, and I was trying to get my arms around it because I felt like maybe this new thing called blockchain could disintermediate some of our businesses. And Danny said, oh, my friend is starting this really interesting new business. You should meet him. And so I met with Fred and was blown away by what they were up to and agreed to put $10 million on behalf of the New York Stock Exchange into Coinbase. But my condition was that I, I... I really wanted to learn i wanted to get on the train and so i got board information rights from for myself personally i got to meet brian and fred and watch that business mature and i was hooked a decade ago and was really just looking for the right opportunity and fast forward i raised my seconds back with my partner dave banano and our other colleagues and a great board of directors back in december we raised 600 million dollars this is in the middle of spec mania And we made our decision very quickly that we were going to invest in the digital asset space. And so I met a gentleman named Brendan Bloomer, and I think it was early January of this year, it may have been late December. And I was just struck by how knowledgeable he was, how humble he was, and what a great business plan he had. And his business plan that he divined three years ago, really before DeFi was a thing, was to build a global digital assets exchange underpinned by liquidity pools or automated market makers. In other words, every product that would be listed, you know, think for example, Bitcoin USD would be underpinned by a liquidity pool. And because Brendan and his company Block One had a substantial balance sheet, we would be able to invest in those liquidity pools ourselves as well as allow third parties to invest alongside us. And, you know, this was around the time if if you remember Uniswap was really just taken off. And all of a sudden there was a lot more literature about what these liquidity pools were and how they worked and how the core model worked. And that was my first kind of really deep rabbit hole was spending two months, the better part of the first quarter, understanding them, how they work, and getting comfortable that this was a, a better mousetrap for providing liquidity to customers. I mean, I had spent my pretty much my whole career in the exchange business, as you know, Frank, but it wasn't just equities, it was futures, currencies, credit fall swaps, equities, equity options. And I always wanted to be able to provide my own liquidity because otherwise You're beholden to the whims of the market and people pulling bids and offers whenever things get volatile. And so I was attracted to this vision of underpinning the markets with liquidity pools, but I wanted to make sure it really worked and it really tied out. So spent the first quarter doing that, spent the second quarter getting to know the team, doing diligence on the 300 plus, you know, mostly tech experts at bullish, at the IP that's been built by bullish, the balance sheet, uh, the business plan know the management team the board of directors doing all that sort of work and and we got into a position where we were able to announce the deal on friday uh which was cathartic because any deal requires a lot of work Spac deals um require just an absolute ton of work but um But now we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor for about 48 hours, and then it's back to the grind. Make sure we have a a great business for for our customers, a great offering for our customers uh, later on this year.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was a fun weekend sort of celebrating those fruits. Um,
1: I slept a lot. I slept a lot, if that's what you mean by fun. Well,
0: sleeping is really fun. I mean, there's nothing better than having (laughs) someone cancel plans on you and then just getting to do nothing. (laughs) Um, so let me let me see if I can boil this down. Right, when we think about the more more so market structure elements of what people should conceptualize bullish as, because I think that's like part of what the sentiment of what the firm is in the market right now is. All right, it's some like new crypto exchange that's backed by EOS. But at the end of the day, and correct me where I'm right or wrong, we're kind of merging together DeFi and CFI. In two important ways, and you can correct me if these aren't the two important ways, but this is how I see it, kind of getting rid of or sort of diminishing the importance of centralized market-making firms, right, so that you're sort of drawing upon your own internal mechanisms for liquidity and increasing, on the CFI side, the importance of sort of some more regulatory compliance aspects.
1: Yeah, that's right. Let me embellish let me a little bit. And maybe geek out yes. just a touch for for the market structure heads in your audience. So Bullish was established as a subsidiary of, of Block One, uh, but Bullish is its own company. And into Bullish was injected a, a whole bunch of crypto. Those employees I referred to, the intellectual property that's been built, and Bullish actually went out and did a round uh, that was widely covered in in the press late last year, where raised, I think the total number was $300 million from a whole bunch of great and luminary investors. There's a number of really great professional exchanges out there. I'm referring to C5. And in some respects, what we're building is going to look very similar to those exchanges. So, you know, we will be regulated. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll be an adult organization with compliance, we'll, you know, with uh, appropriate levels of uh, just sort of trust on the DeFi side, what I've observed is, first of all, it's kind of amazing what's going on in DeFi. The, the amount of innovation is truly incredible and remarkable. I think, in particular, the AMMs have been notable. Uh, in fact, I think there was one day that I saw where Uniswap was something like re- responsible for something like 60% of all the gas, gas fees on Ethereum. I mean, it's clear that that model is working. There's some downsides to it. If you're a, a user on Uniswap, you may have questions about who your counterparties are, you know, using or being able to transact in Bitcoin on something like Uniswap, SushiSwap, or what have you, the, the liquidity pools. It's a little more limited. Uh, you have to wrap it. You have to trust a third party. It can be expensive, especially when the, the network is full, as we know with gas fees. And so bullish is really tipping our hat to the successful use of liquidity pools and automated market makers, and it's combining them with a CFI market structure. And so each pair not only will be underpinned by the liquidity pool, Frank, but we will also accept bids and offers from third parties and we'll allow third parties to cancel bids and offers. So in that respect, we'll look much like a traditional CFI exchange. So we will have both the market makers. And this is the kind of the one thing in your question that I suppose I'm correcting there will absolutely be a role for market makers. We will have the ability for them to come post bids and offers, cancel bids and offers. And right alongside that, we'll have the more permanent sort of semi-immutable liquidity that you get from liquidity. So when the market gets really flaky or volatile, what have you, we may see a lot of the bids and offers pulled by those market makers like you do today on the exchanges, but you won't see anywhere near the same change or volatility from the bids and offers that are generated from the automated market maker. I actually think that the intersection of the two, while very difficult to build, and it's partly why bullish has been spending two years building this complication at the matching engine layer. I think the two is really symbiotic because you'll have the liquidity pool there with quite a bit of size on the bid and the offer, especially those pairs where we choose to invest substantial amount, it, it, potentially into billions. In a particular currency pair. But in between those bids and offers from the liquidity pool is going to be a really interesting playground for the market makers. Because as you'll remember, like the 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 one thing market makers want to know about their bids and offers is if somebody comes and hits their bid or lifts their offer that they're not going to hit their bid and then hit the 20 bids behind it and basically take the market down well below that original bid. Well, if you have the big bids and offers sitting there from the liquidity pool, it makes it a more stable area for market makers to play. So I know I nerded out a little bit there on kind of how I see it fitting together.
0: Yeah, no, but, but it's sort of like the underpinning point there is it's not solely relying on market makers. They're playing a role, but not maybe as big of a role.
1: Yeah, they're, they're definitely playing a role. They're just playing a role alongside the automated market maker. And the, the other thing that we're doing, Frank, is we're, we're not only choosing those pairs where we will invest our own balance sheet. And we're going to do so where we think we can have the most impact for customers. In early days, I think Bitcoin USD is something that we're eyeing along with a number of other pairs where we think we'd have a real differentiation in terms of the liquidity we can provide. Bitcoin, ETH comes to mind as well. But we're also going to allow third parties and in fact, invite third parties to come invest alongside us in the liquidity pool and remunerate them much like they would be remunerated on the automated market makers in in DeFi.
0: Gotcha. Well, we kind of like, really zoned in on some of the aspects of how the exchange will function. Um, If we zoom out on how this deal came together, right, you have a number of different parties involved who invested either in the pipe or are kind of getting this work to get this deal together, BlackRock, Galaxy Digital. Walk us through kind of the thinking around this firm going public through a SPAC. Why go that route versus something else? And what does that mean for the firm? I think a lot of people are maybe thinking, why not go raise another round? There's a lot of ample capital in the private market. Why add you know, a a level of sort of public scrutiny as such an early company? How did sort of the two parties think about a lot of these different questions?
1: Well, there's a lot packed in there and those are really good questions. If I had to answer it in the most simple fashion, Brendan and I both, share a vision that, a vision of the future, I should say, that the winners in the digital asset space, not just exchanges, but generally any business in the digital asset space that's servicing not just retail, but credible institutions, the winners are going to be highly trusted, credible, respected. Having the imprimatur of being a New York stock exchange listed company and all that entails, you know, bank accounts with great banks. Uh, big four accountants like a Deloitte, uh, investment banks on your coming out transaction like uh, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Jeffries, net no more, you know, surrounding yourself with the right types of partners, being subject to SOX 404 compliance, SEC scrutiny, those things in and of themselves kind of signal the type of company you're going to be and how you're going to run your business. And we believe that ultimately will be very attractive and not just to institutions, but but even to retail over over time, because look, there's been a number of really lousy situations in digital assets over, over the last decade where people have lost a lot of money because of bad actors or because of people who couldn't get their act together. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is just having access to, to another currency. We, we believe that not just for investing in the automated market makers themselves, although that's very important, but yeah. also the ability to do M&A in a really dynamic market. And then finally... That's
0: a, no, that's a really good point, Tom.
1: And then finally, Brendan and I humbly think we're going to be a great team. You know, he, it reminds me, I worked for a guy, as you know, Frank, named Jeff Sprecher, who mm-hmm. was a mentor to me and uh, really an amazing person who has built essentially a $100 billion company from, from scratch, he bought Intercontinental Exchange for $1 uh, around about 20 years ago, and now he's built it up to $100 billion. And he was a visionary as well. And I would kind of marvel at, wow, this guy really has a good sense of how the world will evolve five, 10 years from now. Whereas I, what I'm much better at, I, I, I wish I were, I were great at that, I try it, I practice it, but it's just not, you know, we're kind of born with some talents and not others. I'm better at, hey, what do we need to do to put one foot in front of the other starting today and into tomorrow and next week so we can actually get where we need to go? And it's a similar partnership with Brendan. Uh, I've run a, exchanges in a lot of different asset classes. And what we're seeing in crypto is the exchanges are really picking and choosing the best practices from all those different asset classes. I mean, you can look at what some of the big exchanges are doing. They have effectively securities trading, options trading, clearing, futures trading, and not just one type of future, but multiple these so-called perpetual futures as as well as data futures. So I'm gonna be able to benefit from a lot of the knowledge and understanding I've picked up working with really fabulous people in a bunch of different asset classes and uh, teaming up with Brendan and his incredible executive team, I think will be a good match.
0: I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance, market risk, and transaction monitoring. With some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations and mitigate the risks of fines and reputational damage. Visit AventusSystems.com today to find out why 80% of the firms who take a Custom demo become clients. Shine a light on your trading today with Aventus. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now, with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24 7. Simply download the Kraken app. Connect your bank account and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. And interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. I think you raised a really good point about, and this is something that I've talked to our mutual friend and your former colleague John Tuttle about when we think about the benefits of going public you have this currency for acquisition and in many respects you as the now ceo of bullish can kind of use that currency to look at where you can just fill the gaps and quickly kind of build out in a way that a private company would have a more difficult time doing without that currency But to kind of ask a more skeptical question, this might be a tougher question. And this is something that applies to all SPACs. It's not necessarily something that applies to just bullish. But I think when we think about Um, the forward guidance aspect of a SPAC, like something that I've been thinking about is what's to stop, you know, when you're a pre-product company, stop you guys from saying like, our projections are this or our projections are are that. When you have that level of flexibility, it's kind of something that is confusing about SPACs, confusing about investing in a deal like this. How do you think about that?
1: I'm glad you brought this up. It's kind of a really important issue to me personally. The (laughs) first... Let me answer it in kind of multiple ways. Number one, um, we actually did not publish projections to our potential investors when we were marketing the pipe, in part because of the exact reasons that you were pointing to, Frank. And number one. Number two, I'm not a hype man. In fact, I take great care to tell investors and tell your audience, I believe this investment has a whole lot of upside, but it's highly speculative and has the potential to be highly volatile. And there are considerable risks as well. And those those should be taken into account. And I thought it was more appropriate to go to our investors and tell them, this is how we think about the prospective future business model of this company. These are the things we look at, like, for example, volume per day. Here's how to think about how we might get to volume per day. You know, if we were to put X into a particular liquidity pool, it's going to generate the following bids and offers. And if we compare that to other exchanges, we can look at the actual arbitrage opportunities that would have arisen in the past day or month or quarter. And we can use that to calculate a rough estimate of what volume may be. And if we did that, maybe we would have the following income. But for me to go out publicly and say, this will absolutely happen on these exact terms, I think would be would be wrongheaded. So we don't. And instead, we go out to sophisticated investors. And and we tell them as part of the pipe raise, this is what we're hoping to do. This is why we think we have a really good offering, but no promises. And we want to make sure everybody's fully aware of the risk. That's just kind of how I handle my business, how Brandon handles his business. Not all SPACs do. And I think that some SPACs are going to rue the day that they went out and kind of conjured things up into thin air.
0: There's no sort of like in 2025 and 2030, we're going to have X amount of users, X uh, revenues. We
1: we actually didn't in the future. We actually did not. We have have nothing of that sort that said you know 2025 or 2023 or 2024. Nothing you know, kind of point in time projections. Internally, as you might imagine, we're very analytical. Uh, We had our own set of projections. We hired a uh, firm to do a a fairness opinion for us. As I mentioned, uh, we have a fabulous board that really beat us up on assumptions. And there's a lot of uh, analysis there. We will disclose in the proxy a lot of information about how we think about things and how the company thinks about things. And, you know, we're going to lay it out in plain English. I just care deeply. As a guy who ran the New York Stock Exchange, like our, our markets in this country work really well, in part because by and large, the disclosure and the transparency is, is really quite good. And as somebody who's done two SPACs, I think they have a place in this world, just like direct listings and traditional IPOs. And I'd like to see that stay the case. But in order for that to remain the case, people have to operate in a really responsible fashion.
0: As someone who sort of is, I don't think there are many people who are SPAC experts that I know, but you're definitely in that camp and at the top of the list. And if you think about that market intertwined with crypto or sort of juxtaposed with crypto, there's a lot of interesting trends that you can unpack there, right? Especially when you think about the amount of private capital that's sitting on the sidelines. In a weird way, and, and you know this better than anyone, the sort of market for private investing in crypto right now is such that typically, right, you have startups, you have companies that have a demand for money. They need money so that they can go build out you know, different functions or different units or new businesses. But right now in crypto you have a need or a demand from funds to deploy capital right you know there are lps that are saying to these funds you know my friends made x amount of money on crypto i want you to go get me some of that crypto money and so it's raising season there's an ample amount of Money in the private market in crypto to invest in firms, and you see these rounds happening quickly after another. And then you see this new story or this new ish story of SPACs, whether it's back kind of kick things off, and then you have circle, and then now you have bullish. When you look at that backdrop, like how do you think about it from a high level of sort of firms operating in the market, thinking about all of these avenues for raising capital, especially as someone who literally helmed the firm that was responsible for the lion's shares of the world's capital raising.
1: Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, SPACs have a place in the world, but by and large, that place is a target company that is in need of or in search of additional operating talent that a SPAC has. And the SPAC is willing to have one or two or three of its managers go in full-time for many years to add value. That That's a use case that makes a lot of sense to me. The second use case is a target that is in need of, of capital and not just the potential for capital. Because remember, SPAC capital can be redeemed by the investors just prior to closing, but actual guaranteed capital. And so if somebody can bring to the table, let's say they have a $300 million SPAC and they can show up and say, and I'll guarantee an additional $300 million. I will speak for that myself. Or I have such great relationships with the pipe market that even in a tough pipe market, don't worry, I'll go out and raise you $300 million, and, and they actually can. Then there's a use case for that. Beyond that, I, I don't really see what the industrial logic for a SPAC is. And, you know, look, I did my first SPAC in mid-2018 before they were cool. You know, I I felt like I was like selling fake Rolexes on Canal Street when I tried to explain to people what I was doing. <laughs> but it was fine for me. I just needed a break.
0: Don't I, don't talk to me about fake Rolexes on Canal Street. I got I got knockoff AirPods <laughs> on Mulberry for thirty dollars and do they work? um constantly causing issues. But
1: I you know, I just needed a break. I'd been managing exchanges for a long time and you know, when you're managing an exchange, the only thing you deal with is the problems. And I found after long enough that not only was that all I was doing, but the main person who dealt with it, Stacy was actually better at it than I was. And total was winning all the big tech listings. So it was time for me to exit stage, right? And I I enjoyed doing the SPAC in middle of 18, but like there was no panache. There was no sexiness to a SPAC and that was cool. I was kind of looking for a change of pace. Then all of a sudden SPACs became like the, the hottest thing ever. And I was like reading the Wall Street Journal quizzically saying, this is nuts. This makes no sense. Every company should not go public with a SPAC. I think there's over 150 billion now of SPACs looking for deals. And, you know, if there's 150 billion, then there's something like 30 billion or 35 billion of founder promote, uh, which is the amount that a SPAC uh, founder gets paid that is trying to be shoehorned into the market. So it just went it went bananas. Where, where I think it will go back to is kind of where it was, which is there's these two use cases. And... Every once in a while, there'll be a deal that makes sense to go public via SPAC, and most of the time, there won't be. And most of the time, these great crypto companies will go public via an IPO or a direct listing, which, um, you know, look, I think a direct listing, we should see as many of those as we see SPAC deals and maybe more. And right now, we only see like a fraction of direct listings as compared to SPACs.
0: That's a really interesting point. Or they can just keep raising in the private markets because there's just so much capital there. How do you think SPAC went from being a dirty word to the hottest trend in capital markets? Is it simply a derivative of the caliber of issuers out there, right? Like you didn't see Ackman and Goldman necessarily as active in the market as you did five, 10 years ago.
1: It was a speculative bubble. How, you know, we could we could spend the next podcast and the next five talking about how speculative bubbles form. You know, they, what's the expression, Frank? It's, it's, you know, it, it was slow and then it was sudden, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. You know, just slowly and then all of a sudden, if you looked around, you had sellers who were able to get a high price. You had spec operators who were willing to pay the high price. You had pipe investors who were willing to pay the high price because when the deal was announced there were more investors who were buying at a higher price. And some of the valuations became unhinged from the actual fundamentals. And, um, you know, the whole kind of system just elevated there for what was it, six months or so. And now it's back to a more rational place. And I suspect you're going to see a whole lot of SPACs that are out there in the world just disappear. In other words, they will never announce the deal. The investors will get their money back plus one or 2% interest. So they won't be harmed in in a particularly material way or any way. Really, the only downside is the SPAC founders themselves who invested the upfront capital. They will lose that capital. But that was the risk they took. And so Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be a a massive flame out. I don't think it'll cause any systemic problems whatsoever. But I think you're going to just see it. A lot of failures.
0: So I think this is a good way to like close the show, and like I feel like the listeners of this show are going to be like, "Wow, like why couldn't this have been two more hours?" I would keep you, Tom, for another two hours, but I've been inundated with these these flight issues, trying to get out of Philadelphia. Flight canceled on Sunday, and then yesterday, um, well, so some, something I was, was get...
1: something was lost in translation because we were set to have our you know, to record this yesterday. And I got a call and they said, Hey, we have bad news. And I said, "Jesus, well, this doesn't sound good. They said, and, and this is an exact quote. Frank has been detained at the Philadelphia airport.
0: Detained. detained.
1: Yeah. And I went, Oh my God, what happened now? Like I'm thinking I, I could, I could call uncle Nino, maybe uncle Nino could, can help out Does Frank need help. And I said, he's been detained. What did Frank do? And they said, Well, the flight is delayed. And I said, Do you mean delayed? And they said, Yeah. Delayed. Del- they said, Yeah, he's delayed. That's what we meant. He's been detained at the airport. So I had a big scare. You a-
0: thought you thought I had like, you know, some Uncle Nino PCP or something like on my person, and they brought me up back know. to like
1: I didn't know, but it didn't sound good for for a minute there. But then I thought to myself, Frank is the only guy I know in market structure who studied Div at the D- Divinity School, which is why I've gone to you time and again for advice, because I figure you probably have a special. I've look got
0: JC the, on my side,
1: right? You've got a special look into what the appropriate what the appropriate market structure should be. And by the way, I can go toe to toe. My mother was a Catholic nun for five years. She left the night before her final vows. And so, you know, while I, I suspect if she gotten her final vows, it might have been might have been better, but I probably wouldn't be here to do this podcast. That's so why I have a little bit of that special
0: sauce. <laughs> It'd be very bad for the scoop, that's for sure. But when we when we think about um th- there's a lot to untangle here. And so I I guess to sort of culminate the episode, and you think about all of these, you know, bad deals and spAx and sort of all of the stuff happening in the market as a sort of closing note to the listener, why should they maybe expect something different? What is sort of like something about bullish that we haven't touched on that might resonate with them to think like, all right, this is something I need to like look at seriously versus at at one point in the market, it seemed like every day there was a new exchange launching. So uh, I'll give you that sort of final word. Yeah,
1: no, I appreciate it. We're going to be the only exchange that couples the single most interesting innovation in DeFi, which is liquidity pools with traditional exchange architecture. And we're going to take our own balance sheet, substantial balance sheet, something like seven or eight billion of cash and crypto at closing, and we're gonna invest in it. We're gonna eat our own cooking to generate liquidity for customers. So we'll be the only exchange that does that. And I'd like to think that's gonna add a lot of value for customers in the form of liquidity. We've got a, a great management team, technology team, visionary leader in, in Brendan. But all that said, Frank, you know, don't just take our word for it. Watch us, listen to what we say, follow our actions, make sure we're delivering on it, really understand both the upside and the risks, and watch this space.
0: All right, so Tom, where can our listeners learn more about what you and Bullish are doing? Really appreciate you coming on the show. Give us, um. where can we find you?
1: You know, Frank, and this is shameless shilling, but the Brendan and I filmed a 20-minute video, you know, no longer than that, Uh, It's available on the bullish website, and we go through in a lot more organized detail than I have on this call what we're going to build, how the business fits together. We talk a little bit about the timelines of the launch, and that is available. You can navigate to it from the bullish website.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show today. Thank you so much for stopping by The Scoop. This was this was epic. This was really fun. Thanks for coming on, Tom. And
1: thank we'll, you. We'll talk soon. Thank you. And uh, you do an absolute ton for the digital asset space, and you're fun to listen to. So keep it up, buddy.
0: Thanks so much. Looking for more great insights from The Block, check out The Block Research, the premier platform for research content on crypto markets and the digital asset industry. The Block Research membership includes cutting edge reports, webinars, company maps, and more available via our dedicated research portal. Visit theblockresearch.com to find out how to join today or contact a member of our sales team at sales at theblockcrypto.com and let them know that Frank sent you.